Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Lauren, quick question for you. Do you follow any fan pages on Instagram? Um, you know, I follow Sam Ponder, but that's not really a, a, a fan page. It's her. I don't know if I follow of like, you know, I, I guess I either follow the person or I follow like people I know. Yeah, no, I think for the most part, I just follow the people that uh, that I know or that person themselves. I'm kind of like, I want to actually have the facts from the person, not just the fans. But I obviously have, you know, no problem with fan pages. I think they're fun. Yeah. <laughs> there is a new fan page I just found out about this week. So the Los Angeles Times has a Kamala Harris fan page on Instagram. It's all Kamala. Uh, it's almost an understatement to say it, it's a fan page. Like they are really, it, it's all Kamala, all praise of, of Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris. And like I said, I have no problem with fan pages the issue that I take with this is it's a news outlet hosted fan page. So it's really hard to trust that you're getting a fair and balanced opinion and, and reporting when you see something, you know, an outlet as big as the Los Angeles Times uh, that has a whole page on social media dedicated to obviously a, a very, um, in many ways, divisive political figure. Yeah, I think the Gen Z folks would call that cringe for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> well, quick plug for the Problematic Women Instagram. If you aren't following Problematic Women on Instagram, be sure to uh, hit that follow button. And if you DM me, I will respond. I promise. But we have a lot planned for today's show. So let's dive right in. Lauren, what do we have queued up? Up on today's Problematic Women, we break down what is happening in Afghanistan with Heritage Foundation's Gloria Taylor. We also talk with Gloria about a show called The Bold Type. Plus, Gloria shares a little bit about her personal story of battling cancer. And Virginia sits down with Erica Kaios, the California hair salon owner that leaked the footage to the media last summer of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done maskless inside a San Francisco salon. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. On Sunday, images of Taliban leaders sitting inside the presidential palace in Kabul were just everywhere on the internet. Meanwhile, thousands of Afghan citizens fled to the airport in a mad effort to escape the country. Here with Virginia and I to break all of this down, it's friend of the show, Gloria Taylor. She is the communications manager for national security and foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation. Gloria, welcome. Thanks for having me, y'all. So let's start with the scenes from the airport. Gloria, what was your reaction when you saw people literally so desperate to escape that they were clinging on to airplanes as they were taking off? This whole thing, every piece of what's going on in Afghanistan could have been entirely avoidable, especially that moment. It was very reminiscent of 9-11, except this was something that the Biden administration literally caused and could have prevented. 
heartbreaking. But the beautiful thing is we're sitting here as we're talking about these things. It just reminds us we live in a country where that is not going to happen and we are free. And what a wake-up call I hope that serves to be for um, those on the left who are literally sitting in line to be a victim and complain about how they are so horribly oppressed uh, in this country. Yeah, I saw a tweet that was like, their women's march and then our women's march, you know, like like the difference between. Yep. It really puts everything in perspective. It's like you realize, like Gloria, you said, you realize like, wow, I am so privileged to live in a country where I have freedoms. Uh, and it's hard not to put yourself in in the shoes of the Afghan people right now and think, what would I be doing? How would I be trying to protect my family? Would I be one of those people at the airport, you know, madly trying to escape? Would I be forced into hiding? Uh, it's just really, really, really sobering. We saw um, on Tuesday, Major General Hank Taylor, he said that uh, the U.S. military is really ramping up those flights out of the airport. They're trying to do one every hour. That would mean that they would be evacuating somewhere between 5,000 and 9,000 people a day. Uh, right now, the priority is for U.S. citizens, of course, and then also special immigrant visa applicants, uh, and then Afghan citizens who are at risk. We have to take care of our people, you know, those people who came alongside and helped our troops and supported us throughout the 20 years that we had boots on the ground there. Now all those people have targets on their back. Not only do they have targets on their back, the administration hasn't even been able to confirm that we are going to get out the American citizens who are still left. I mean, this is shocking and abysmal and completely unacceptable. Um, and I think you're right to say we need to be talking about how do you bring out those um, Afghans that helped us, that we literally made commitments and promises to. Uh, so we have to think very carefully about how do you balance um, our national security interests, making sure people are properly vetted with also the fact we've made these promises and we are a nation that commits to those things. So our refugee policy, as we talk about this moving forward, needs to protect um, the vulnerable, but also protect our sovereignty and security. So, hmm. Yeah, that's critical. Well, really, Gloria, I mean, the question of the hour is how on earth did this happen? How did Afghanistan fall so quickly? I mean, American troops were pretty much almost all pulled out by the beginning of July. That's just over a month ago. And now the Taliban has more control of Afghanistan than they did on September 11th, 2001. So what happened and where did America go wrong? Right now, this is a great question. And you start from the beginning of this September 11th deadline, this political goal for the Biden administration to get everybody out what we know now and is abundantly clear, there was no plan. Um, and, you know, good, reasonable people can talk about, you know, what kind of force we should have left behind, if at all, whether that was 2,000 troops or, you know, uh, a small group doing uh, counterterrorism and intelligence operations. Um, I'll leave that to the actual experts. Um, but, yeah, but right now the problem is the lies, the straw mans, the figure of leadership that we are seeing out of this White House um, Biden has refused to take any ownership in, you know, the the brief remarks that he came back from his vacation to give. He didn't address the situation at hand, just defended his decision to withdraw. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the fact that you literally had no plan and cannot answer questions as to why we're not able to get Americans out, answer questions as to why we have 
valuable military assets falling falling into the hands of the Taliban. You can't answer questions um, about what is going to happen in the future with regards to getting out these refugees. So that is what we see right now is the biggest problem, the lack of leadership, the lack of ownership from this administration. Yeah, it's like they did everything backwards. Why would you let the airports be the first thing to, that you would leave when you need the airplanes to get out of the country? Yes, and it, it appears there's this just fundamental misunderstanding from the Biden administration about the reality on the ground and what was going to happen. You literally had Jake Sullivan talking about, oh, you know, this is not going to be something that happens, you know, over the course of Monday to Friday in regards to um, the Taliban taking over Afghanistan. And in reality, it was that and much quicker. At one point, they were saying, oh, maybe 30 to 90 days. They have n- no idea what was going on. And not only that, they liter- they got up there and said – Oh, you know, we have planned for every contingency. How is it that you've planned for every contingency, yet this still happens? One of the two is not a true statement. So that's incredibly problematic. Um, well, and Gloria, as we were talking a little bit about before before we started the segment, you know, I think there's such a fundamental misunderstanding of of the culture in the Middle East and specifically how the Taliban thinks, you know, for them, uh, their their end all be all is having power. That is the currency by which they speak. And uh, you know, Jim Carafano, he's the vice president for national security and foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation. He said on Fox, you know, it's so much more important for the Taliban to be feared than it is for them to sit on a human rights council. Like they don't care about that. What they care about is showing the world how powerful they are. We're hearing them say things like we've changed and you know, we'll respect people. Uh, I I do not buy that, and I think most uh, most experts do not buy that because of because of the culture of the Taliban. We know that they are uh, they're ruthless, and that the they speak through force, and that they also uh, one of their objectives essentially is to embarrass America, and they're going to take every opportunity they can in order to do that. Yeah, we see the Biden administration saying we trust the Taliban to. Uh let people have safe passage to the airport. We're already seeing things breaking today. If shots have been fired, people are being wounded or beaten on their way to the airport. I I just don't understand the fundamental disconnect here. That's the biggest problem. Um, And what we're looking at now is the short term and the long term ramifications of what's going to happen to the United States as a result of this failure in planning, failure in leadership and you know, right now, I would probably give about anything for some mean tweets from, you know, <laughs> the scary orange man if it meant we weren't seeing this situation right now. But we need to be thinking, you know, long and hard about the long term consequences here. You know, how is China going to get involved? How um, are they going to be expanding their Belt and Road Initiative? Um, we need to be thinking about how Al Qaeda and Taliban are going to be in partnership. We need to be thinking about, um, Russia, what role are they going to play? So it's incredibly alarming from a larger geopolitical standpoint in the future. Um, and, you know, obviously the concerns at the moment right now are how do we how do we get our citizens out? How do we get the people that we promised out? And there's been no plan for that. Well, I'm glad you brought up Trump because the left's talking point on this is that this is Trump's doing because he's the one 
who wanted to pull out all the troops uh, in Afghanistan. So what was Trump's plan and how does that compare to what's actually happening with Biden? Yes. And I think the the big thing to focus on here in terms of you know what Trump would have done versus what Biden would have done is the players at the table who's negotiating. What have we seen from Biden so far on foreign policy? It's appease and walk away. It's, you know, caving to the Chinese, not asking hard questions about COVID, just going along with their lies. It's caving to um, Russia on Nord Stream 2. It's begging Iran to let us back into the Iran deal. That's a totally different player than you had with the previous administration who, after taking out Soleimani, tweets an American flag. Totally, totally different people that you're negotiating with. And our enemies aren't stupid. They see that. Absolutely. Well, and I think, too, because as you say, you know, people have been pointing to, well, Trump started the pullout. I think what we possibly could have seen uh, from the previous administration was when we started to see the Taliban taking over province by province, capital by capital, there would have been a slamming on the brakes to say, Mm -hmm. wait a second, we're pausing this pullout. We're not going to let Afghanistan fall to the Taliban. Uh, but instead, what we saw from the Biden administration was just this continued, nope, we've already set it in motion. We're leaving. Uh, and that's that's why we find ourselves where we are. Right. They've pulled the rug out from underneath folks that we have worked with you know, over the past two decades. And it's incredibly problematic. Um, it damages our standing around the world. China is already taking advantage of this. Uh, other adversaries are going to take advantage of this. And I know one of the biggest questions that I have had, and that I think a lot of people are asking, is what does this mean for the Afghan people themselves, and especially for women and girls? Uh, it's certainly not good news. It's hard to know what exactly is going to happen in the coming days and weeks. But Gloria, what what are your thoughts? You have seen... So many heartbreaking things come out already. I watched a video this morning from the underground Afghan church. People in tears just saying, pray for us. We don't know what's next. We're hearing that they're coming by door to door. They know who we are. Um, so pray for the church in this time. Those are excruciatingly hard things to watch. And then you, you talk specifically about women and children. You're seeing reports of you know pictures of little kids at a bus stop and the male students like, hugging goodbye, the females who are no longer allowed to go to school. Saw a story this morning about an Afghan journalist who showed up to work and the Taliban told her, you're no longer needed here. The regime has changed. Go home. So they can say all they want that, you know, they're going to respect women's rights and, you know, the leftist media can, you know, fawn and glow over, oh, a new Taliban that, you know, is going to be respectful. We don't buy it for a minute. Um because their framework is we're going to respect the rights of women within the confines of what we believe to be Islamic law. And we all know what that's going to look like. Well, Gloria, we are grateful to live in America and be treated equally as women. And one of those freedoms that we have is to watch trashy TV. How's that for for (laughs) a second term? We love our trashy television. Uh, Well, you recently watched a show called The Bold Type which features three best friends who work at a major glamour magazine in a big city. I will, I will tell you, I've never actually seen the show, but my roommate (laughs) watches it. And even from just like seeing it, I, I, yeah. So please just fill fill us in on what the bold type is like. 
Yeah, so there's different, you know, types of trash TV. We've got, you know, The Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, all that, you know, just reality but not reality TV. This is actually a TV show. It was meant for Freeform. It's like on ABC. I don't know what it used to be called. It's, you know, the more adult version of ABC Family, I think. And so just stumbled upon this one as I was um, going through cancer recovery treatment and started watching it. And the premise is, you know, these three girls in New York City, they're millennial women taking back their power um, and basically working for what is Cosmo magazine. It's called Scarlet in the actual show. And so the, you know, the millennials living in the big city, learning to be brave and fight the patriarchy. You know, what does feminism mean? So that's basically what's going on. And it's 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 raunchy-ish, but it was still great television. But I you know as a comms person, I think it's really important to be able to immerse myself in the worlds that these um, very progressive women live in just so you can understand where these people are coming from. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into <laughs> when I started this show. So what what do you think is the message that a show like The Bold Type really promotes to the viewers? And keep in mind, probably the you know the primary audience is teenagers, young women yep. in their twenties and thirties. What what are they walking away from this TV show uh, thinking and having? I guess I guess you could say learned. <laughs> Right. And, you know, the same way that you see all these psychotic headlines from, you know, real Cosmo magazine, that's the same stuff you're seeing portrayed in the show, that you are empowered and bold only when you are, you know, along the correct ideological lines of the left. You are empowered and bold when you are fighting the patriarchy and being a feminist and leaning into, you know, what is actually culturally accepted. So it's so funny to see um, these millennial women being, oh, you know, we are so persecuted. Life is so hard. And they're complaining about all of these, you know, ways that they're oppressed. And I'm like, literally culture is behind you. Literally, it's not hard to speak <laughs> up and be a leftist. You will literally be resounded by likes and retweets on Twitter. You're not going to get canceled for talking about, you know, why abortion is incredible and – you know, all these other things that end up coming up in the show of closing pregnancy resource centers, you know, fighting for LGBTQ equality. You know, you name the leftist issue, it's on there. Um, you know, they portray all conservatives as these, you know, small-minded, gun-toting, you know, hick people that are racist. So that's that's what they're teaching the next generation and that's what's scary. You know, when you, we, talk, we talk about culture a lot of what is it that we're teaching our children to believe and that's what they're teaching them. Well, I'm sure our listeners right now are like, no, duh, there's so many liberal TV shows out here. But Gloria, can you tell us a little bit about why this one stuck out and I mean, and why kind of your journey aligned with the show and it, it was meaningful and it did have an impact for you? Yeah. And this is what is so cool. You know, oftentimes we make stereotypes about people and stereotypes about liberals. And then I got knocked on my feet um, about, I mean, it was halfway through the series. I find out that one of the three lead characters tested positive for the BRCA genes. This is a, one of the most popular breast cancer genes. There are other ones, so it's not just those two. Um, and they showed her story going through finding out she had the gene, what it looked like to like be monitored as a young person, high risk for breast cancer, and then her double mastectomy journey. And that's something that is super personal to me as, you know, last December, I was 26. 
and by the grace of God found a lump. And for those of y'all who are Enneagrams, I am a avid Enneagram 6 with a very <laughs> strong wing 7. I like to emphasize that because I am fun. <laughs> I am not just worry wart all the time. Um, but this is the one moment where the Enneagram 6 served me very well. The next day I was on the phone with doctors uh, saying I need to you know get checked out now. I'm freaking out. Worst case scenario is just totally spiraling and Long story short, a couple days before Christmas, I got the diagnosis that I had breast cancer. Uh, total shock. Life turned completely upside down. Um, went through the process that is long and painstaking of waiting for, you know, how bad is it? What do all these things mean? You know, there's so many different types of breast cancers. I just learned an entirely new language through this whole thing and then ended up having a double mastectomy uh, earlier this year. And... I was in tears watching this episode of this incredibly progressive show that I think is teaching us all the wrong lessons and portraying conservatives in an awful light and just raunchy beyond all belief in terms of, you know, we're liberated because we, you know, can embrace sex. I think that's actually slavery, but, you know, that's a whole different conversation. Um, but, yeah, so these episodes, they truly showed what it was like to feel the weight of being a 20-something, having to go through something that profoundly life-changing and what it looked like. You know, they portrayed after surgery, you know, I couldn't sit up for on my own for weeks. I couldn't lift my arms above my head. And they showed her, you know, scaling her fingers up the wall, trying to do stretches. And, you know, then it was two months later, her not feeling comfortable in her own body anymore and trying to figure out how do I deal with this? You know, how how do I, you know, embrace the life that I do have now and that I've given myself more time. But also this is incredibly hard and not something that any person, even if you're in your 20s, 30s, whatever, should have to go through. So it was really personal to me and it was funny that the Lord used a show that I fundamentally disagree with pretty much everything that they're saying to still minister to me. So and that's been a lot of what my breast cancer journey has been of thinking, how can I use every, you know, hot flash that I have now because of treatment to, you know, make that a gospel opportunity. Hmm. How did you make it through those days of, you know, lying on your back, knowing your whole world has changed, not able to lift your arms above your head? (laughs) What, what kept you going? I say this now and it sounds kind of crazy, but I literally would do the whole thing again because of the ways I have gotten to see the Lord profoundly change me. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple months before I found it, I'd been praying really earnestly about discipline. I just, I really lacked discipline in my life. I couldn't do anything besides take on my contacts or brush my teeth. You know, I, running a marathon, doing anything for 30 days just makes me feel confined and I can't deal with it. And so I had been praying a lot about that. And then now I'm at the point where. December, that December I got diagnosed. I started a year through the Bible plan, January 1st, you know, being like, oh, I'm going to get to, you know, March. And due to the, you know, insanity the last nine months of my life have been, I am on day, you know, 245 or whatever of this year through the Bible plan, which is truly shocking. I'm training for a half marathon. Um, and in so many weeks, I've had, you know, had to also have to take pills every day. So this whole situation has made me have to be disciplined and the Lord answered that prayer in a way which I would never have expected, but is so cool. And I'm thankful for the person that he's made me to be in realizing I could not have ever found that lump. I could have waited six months. It could be way worse than it ended up being. And there's just this beautiful perspective of I'm thankful for the life that I have been given and the life that I have left to live and 
now leaning into, okay, what is it that you want me to be doing with that? So it was very much for me a profound a profound time with the Lord of him wrestling loose priorities in my life and showing up in the biggest and the most little ways through the entire experience. Wow. That's so powerful. Like, it's, I just love your perspective. I think that's incredibly profound to say, okay, God, where where are you in the midst of this? What are you doing in my life? How are you how are you actually working this for my good? And that is not an easy thing to do, Gloria. So I'm mm-hmm. I am so challenged by you and by your life. <laughs> <laughs> I am too uh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Lord, give me strength. Uh, I can't get through this one. <laughs> yeah. oh. Well, Gloria, it's been a pleasure and I'm sure this will not be the last time that you're on Problematic Women. I hope not. Great live chats. Here for it. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Stay tuned because up next, I'm joined by Erica Kyaus, the California salon owner who leaked the footage of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done last year while not wearing a mask. But first, I'm super excited to tell you all about a new video series. Government spending is out of control and it's affecting you and me through inflation. Now, subjects like inflation, the debt ceiling, and overspending can be very complex. So that's why the Heritage Foundation partnered with Senator Rick Scott of Florida to create Road Trip on a Budget. Road Trip on a Budget is an animated five-part series that uses the analogy of a road trip to break down how much national debt we have, why it matters, and how the American government can get back on a budget. Each episode is just about two and a half minutes long. They're super fun and easy to listen to and understand. You can find the five-part series on the Heritage Foundation YouTube channel or just open up your YouTube app and search for Heritage Foundation Road Trip on a Budget. I am so excited to welcome to the show Erica Caius. Erica, welcome. Thank you for having me. So many of our listeners probably remember that about a year ago, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi went to a hair salon in San Francisco to get her hair done and video footage showing Pelosi walking through the salon without a mask on was leaked. And this was during a time when masks were required and most small businesses, especially in California, were closed. Now, the owner of that salon is Erica. So Erica, you also recently spoke at a Heritage Action for America Save Our Paychecks event. Those events are taking place all over the country this month. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But first, Erica, let's go back to last August and the situation at the hair salon with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and just explain what exactly happened at your salon. How did all of these events unfold? Sure. Um, Yeah. So we're coming up on a year now, which is crazy. And I almost feel like we're kind of still in that situation (laughs) in California. We're actually still working on uh, pins and needles, um, you know, thinking, are we going to shut down tomorrow? Um, So what had happened, um, actually, I have mentioned um, a little bit more now about uh, what took place. she had actually been a client for about five years previous to the incident. And um, again, you know, a lot of people, I got backlash um, over politics, you know, oh, you're exposing her because she's Nancy Pelosi, because she's a Democrat, which was absolutely false. 
Um, she had come in when she had come in, I completely respected her privacy. Um, I never, you know, put on social media that she was a client. I literally knew, you know, we always knew ahead of time before she was coming because the secret service would come in and check the place out before she'd come in. I made sure that everything was clean, everything was in place and, you know, her room was empty. Nobody was in there to bother her completely respected her. Um, and again, that was what I did when she came in as a client. Um, cause I wanted people to know that, that she didn't just come in and I just exposed her. Um, so to fast forward, uh, to, uh, let's say March, um, it was the beginning of March, obviously when the pandemic began and we were told to shut down with all respect we did, because all of us had no idea what, you know, we were dealing with, with this disease. So little by little, we started to learn, obviously, um, how we would be able to reopen with COVID. Um, in June, I believe the pretty much almost the whole country started to reopen, um, you know, beauty services. I know my sister lives in Potomac, uh, Maryland, and she was started to get her hair done and her nails at that time. So we were preparing for the same thing. Uh, June goes by, July goes by. We were then told um, by our uh, mayor in California, uh, in San Francisco, London Breed, that we were going to finally open July 13th. So I was uh, given a three-page letter from OSHA for the COVID uh, compliance of, you know, of what we needed to do to reopen. And we met all the, the requirements and we were ready to open July uh, 13th. I just, I'll never forget that day. <laughs> it's a big day. Um, it's really important. <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, I was, I had started out with a crew of 12. I was literally down to four stylists who were actually self-employed. Um, they rented from me, but we, you know, huddled together and got everything ready and two days before our reopening, uh, the mayor came out and said that we cannot reopen because COVID had spiked again. And at that time, I just started to think that something wasn't right because I knew, especially in San Francisco, everybody did their part. Everybody stayed in, you know, everybody wore masks and really did a great job of trying to contain COVID. And I, uh, then being a stylist, a hairstylist, you know, we know almost everybody in every kind of, uh, working position. And I had reached out to one of my clients, um, who was a head ER nurse at one of the hospitals in San Francisco and asked her, you know, can you let me know what's going on in the hospital with COVID? And I told her we couldn't reopen and she was not happy because she <laughs> wanted to get her hair done. Um, and so she, you know, got back to me and said, literally they had, I don't know, hundreds of beds ready for COVID. You know, they were ready for COVID patients at this time. And there was, I think maybe like, I don't know, eight, seven to eight people in the hospital at this time. And that's when I literally knew something wasn't right. I'm like there, you know, we should have been reopened. Again, my salon was 2000 square feet. The, the, the stations were 10 feet apart. We were going to partition our sinks with plexiglass. I mean, you wouldn't be able to catch COVID if you tried in our salon. Meaning while, you know, everything else, big box stores were open and, um, I still just couldn't understand why Target, Costco, all these big box stores were open. And literally there was, you know, four of us in this huge salon 
COVID compliant could not reopen. So another month goes by and literally my coworkers are calling me. Some of them are, you know, afraid they're going to lose their apartment. They literally are starting to have trouble to buy food. I mean, that's how bad it was getting for us. I had reached out to the mayor. I had reached out to the local supervisor um, about when we were supposed to reopen. Nothing. I don't know if you guys remember that every couple of weeks they'd come out and, you know, update us. You know, we were in purple tier, red tier. They literally stopped doing that. And we I felt like we were shut down indefinitely. So really, um, I mean, just such a such a dire situation where you're looking at, at your bank accounts and coworkers are are struggling. So oh, then at at what point did did you learn uh that that speaker Nancy Pelosi wanted to come and have her hair done at the salon. Yes. So that's where I'm getting at. I apologize. Um, I know I just kind of need to tell everyone the background of, you know, where we were and where my mind was at this time. You know, I, again, I owned a huge salon and I literally had to hold it together for my coworkers. You know, they're the ones that confided in me for answers and I didn't have answers. And I started to get very upset and very, you know, angry and frustrated at this time as everyone else did and seeing everybody else be open and working in us. I just, we couldn't understand that. So again, we were shut down, not realizing what's going on. Um, then I had gotten a message from one of the renters that it was Sunday. Cause she came in on a Monday that he was going to do Pelosi's hair, which was fine. And in my mind, I really thought, he probably was going to her house, right? I mean, I didn't think, I really didn't think she'd come in. And um, I was on a flight on Monday to Nashville. And I have cameras in there, by the way. And I've had them, I don't know if you guys remember, she said at that uh, press conference that I had set her up, which is a complete lie. Um, I had cameras in there. I've had them in there since I've opened. And um, I was on a flight, I landed, and I got notification that there was movement in the salon in the back of my mind I thought there's just there's no way that they went in there or you know did she go <laughs> and sure enough I literally there was about an hour and 20 minutes of movement in the salon and I clicked on the exact moment of when she walked through my reception area with no mask on and for me it was everything in the past six months that had happened with the shutdown not being able to reopen, losing my staff, everyone literally on the verge of losing everything just had gone through my mind, you know, and things might've been different if she was there to support us and and be there for her community, but she wasn't. And I was thankful enough. And, you know, I didn't get paid for the footage, by the way, a lot of people think, oh, you turned in a tape and you know, you got paid. I didn't, I am very lucky that I have, um, a couple of friends that are in politics and they're people that I really trust. And I handed it over to them and, you know, they did tell me, uh, (laughs) they had a, you know, they called me together. They're a husband and wife, amazing people. And they said, you know, we're not, this is all up to you. Um, they couldn't believe it, what they were seeing. Um, I remember my girlfriend, she was just in like almost having a panic attack because she couldn't believe it. 
And they said, your life is going to change. And for me at that time, I'm like, no, I've known her for five years. You know what I mean? Nothing's going to happen, but people need to know that this isn't right. And that's just how I felt. It wasn't right of her to tell the country to wear masks, put us out of work for so long and and go in and, and do what she, you know, get done what she wanted to get done. Wow. So Erica, I mean, I can hear it in your voice, such a time of frustration where you're struggling, you're watching, you know, your colleagues struggle through the pandemic, struggle financially. You, you talk to these folks and ultimately decide, okay, this is information that the public needs to have. They, they need to know what is, is going on. So you decide, okay, I'm going to leak this footage. You're, you're kind of warned a little bit about what's going to happen. So Take us back to that that time in your life. What started happening once you made the choice? Okay, yes, this this footage is going to be released to the public. Sure. Um, yeah. At that time, again, it's just the past the past six months had just raced through my my mind, and I just knew, you know, regardless, again, being a single mom with two small children, having a boyfriend who's a lawyer, and trying to talk, you know, sense into me. Um, again, I just, I just knew it was the right thing to do. Um, again, I had tried to explain to people that, um, you know, I had lived in San Francisco for, and worked for over 15 years. This was nothing to do with politics. It had nothing to do with a Republican or a Democrat. Um, again, I, you know, I grew up in the central Valley. I am a little bit more, um, I was raised more of a Republican, but you know, I, we don't, we never talked about that at my salon. So that wasn't the, the issue the the, the, the issue was, again, this woman is a huge, I mean, she's speaker of the house, you know, and for her to do what she did, turn her back on her community and come in and, and, and get a service done when she told everyone else not to, it was why I did it. And obviously, you know, being put out of work for so long. Um, the backlash of it, you know, I would say a lot of it was positive. Um, cause a lot of people were in my situation, you know, um, again, when livelihood comes into effect, politics, being a Republican or Democrat goes out the door. It's literally, you know, people's livelihood that sh- that you're messing with. And, when I say again, like the negativity of it are people that just didn't understand and said to me, you exposed Nancy Pelosi. You did it because you're a Trump supporter and you're a Republican, which was completely false. Um, again, I did it because I felt that her hypocrisy just needed to, you know, be exposed. And I did. I got some death threats. Um, they were going to burn my salon down. They sent me my home address. You know, you have beautiful children. To be honest, I I was pretty nervous in the beginning, but after a while, I you know, thank God I have thick skin, and I you know just pushed forward. And it's almost like a tunnel. You know, you got to go straight through and see the end of the light, and just ignore all the noise and get the truth out. Wow, that <laughs> that's bold and well said because that. That is scary. I imagine that's got to be scary when you you have people making threats against you and your family. Uh, so where where do things stand now? What is the latest on your salon? Are you choosing to stay in California? Or are you relocating? 
So I shut down my locations. I had two locations in San Francisco. I shut those down and um, I am renting a chair at a friend's salon in Fresno, California, uh, part-time. And I also, right now I'm in Nashville. Um, I rent a play, a space in um, Brentwood, um, Tennessee. And again, over there we're working but in the back of our minds, we don't know if we're going to get shut down again. And to, to, to go to work every day with that feeling is terrible. And, you know, I'm in Tennessee working because I'm safe here. Like, I know they're not going to shut me down. I know people are here to support me. And it's crazy that I literally had to leave. Um, well, again, I didn't leave permanently because I, I am there 50% of the time in California. But I had to leave a state because I don't feel safe there. I don't feel safe that my, my job is secure. And it's still going on to today. <laughs> yeah. Was was that decision a combination of uh, the decision to leave California at least, um, you know, and be in Tennessee part time? Was that because uh, restrictions were still so tight and worried about things shutting down? Or was it also in part because of those threats that you had received? Both. I would say both. I don't want to talk for everybody, but a lot of us, again, are we have a foot out the door because we just don't know what's going to happen. As a small business owner, you, uh, of course, as you've talked about, you really felt those effects of COVID. And right now, there's a lot of of other concerns regarding the economy. We're seeing uh, that Congress is in the middle of debating both a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and a $3.5 trillion spending package two bills that would throw America into more debt and cause inflation. And to pay for those bills, the Biden administration wants to raise taxes. Uh, So you have joined up with Heritage Action for America to support the Save Our Paychecks national tour. Uh, And as you talked about, this is such a, it's a critical time for small businesses in America. So many are still recovering from the pandemic and That's something that we can all get behind, the idea of save our paychecks. We want our full paychecks in our pockets. So tell us a little bit about the Save Our Paycheck initiative. Yeah, um, they're amazing. And I'm so happy to be part of that tour. Um, I'm actually considering going to Georgia. I'm trying to work my schedule and uh, redo, move clients. Um, It's so important to keep this momentum going and continue talking about what's going on um, and the awareness of small businesses. I mean, I, for uh, California alone, just last year, 40,000 small businesses closed down. And um, again, with the, with the, uh, with Biden um, trying to, again, raise taxes. I mean, it, I can't even, I'm at the point that so many of us are just like, we can't believe what's happening before our eyes. I mean, it's literally crazy. And then San Francisco and New York are trying to pass the vaccine passports, which is, you know, they're trying to pass that and and, and put that on small businesses again. And that's something that I think I've reached out to a couple of people in San Francisco. They don't even know what to do. Like if someone comes into a small business, like how, how do I, what am I, you know, no one even knows what to do with that. So that's another challenge that they're putting up against small businesses. Not only are we just coming back from COVID and trying to rebuild, yeah, the Biden Biden inflation is is coming <laughs> coming now. 
the the taxes, the stimulus. I mean, it's unbelievable. I almost feel like they just want to shut us all down at this point. Well, we're we're certainly so glad for people like yourself who are just being open. You're you're telling your personal story. You're telling how things like the pandemic, how inflation is personally affecting you as a small business owner. Uh, and so you spoke, uh, you, as you mentioned, you spoke at um, the Heritage Action for America in, event in Fresno, California. So all throughout um, August and September, Heritage Action for America, they're hosting these Save Our Paychecks events to communicate to Americans, you have a voice here and you need to be uh, just aware of what's actually going on uh, and also advocating for, you know, for ourselves, for our communities to be actually, uh, you know, receiving um, the support that we need to be receiving, but really uh, to be pushing back against um, against these big government programs and these large bills like the $3.5 trillion spending bill that are going to only cause inflation to go up more. So talk a little bit about your experience of speaking uh, at the event in Fresno, California. Um, well, I, you know, and the nice thing about it, too, is I'm not the only one speaking. I'm actually listening to other small businesses and the uh, Fresno was my first event and literally to see another salon owner up there, t- you know, talking about everything that she's going through. And, uh, you know, she actually started crying. I felt so bad for her. <laughs> like it just to see the pain and what this is causing other business owners is it, it's just unbelievable that this is, I, it's almost like we're kind of in disbelief that this is still happening, that they're, there's almost no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, where's the relief? A, a lot of, something else I wanted to talk about, um, what we talked about also is there, there really isn't that many, you know, relief programs for small businesses that I'm aware of as well. So again, we kind of feel that we're just left out there to fend for ourselves. And again, the Save Our Paychecks program is amazing because Again, I, I, now I don't, you know, I did, I don't feel as alone as I did because I was able to hear other small businesses speak and, and talk about what's going on with them as well. Erica, thank you for sharing that. I think it's so critical to recognize just that importance of supporting other small business owners and other individuals who are struggling right now. For anyone listening who's a small business owner, really encourage you to check out Save Our Paychecks. Dot com. You can learn about the other tour stops coming up. There's actually one in Orlando today. Then there's one in Manchester, New Hampshire on August 21st. Uh, there's going to be one in Richmond a little later uh, this month. And then um, there's a final, a final stop in Atlanta, Georgia on September 13th. Erica, for you as a mom, as a small business owner, and as an American, why... Is it so important to you to be speaking out and pushing back on excessive government spending right now? Well, first of all, I wanted to tell you something that I didn't say I haven't mentioned very much is I'm actually a first generation American. Um, My mother came here from the Middle East. I mean, with everything going on right now on the news, it's very sad to see. Um, my mom came here in the early 70s to to uh, become an American and be here for freedom. And to, uh, you know, 
work and, and started business herself as a woman, which she was not allowed to do in the Middle East. Um, and why I talk about that and mention that now is because, again, I feel like as her coming here, you know, to for freedom and to to start a business um, as a, a single mom woman right now, our freedom is being taken away. And also with just not only freedom, like again, with, with, you know, making an income, a living as a single mother for my family is, is literally, I I don't feel secure at all. Such a critical time in our nation's history. And Erica, we certainly appreciate you sharing your story with us today. One final question before we let you go. We, we'd love to ask all of our listeners on the show this question. Do you Uh consider yourself to be a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? A feminist. Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, the, how how many minutes do I have? <laughs> <laughs> we'll give um, you two. <laughs> okay, so that question again, like with my upbringing, um, as again coming from an immigrant mother from the Middle East that had no women's rights at all, um. I consider myself a feminist in a certain way. Like I'm not, you know, crazy and, you know, um, into, you know, certain uh, hardcore like feminist groups or anything, but I do believe in um, supporting women. Absolutely. 100% supporting women in small business. um, Because again, like, you know, a single mom struggling. um, And, and again, you know, coming and and growing up, I grew up as well from a single mom from another country immigrant who we had no money. So I was able to literally, uh, I worked my way through restaurants and saved my money and opened my own hair salon. And my mom's work ethic is what made me who I am today. And so with that, I believe as a, a woman nowadays, especially in this country, we have opportunity to become whoever we want as long as we work hard and we have the support, especially support from other women. Mm, that's critical. Erica, thank you. I so, so appreciate you coming on and really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. It is now that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to baby Olivia. Our friends over at the pro-life organization Live Action have created an amazing video showing the inside of a mother's womb and how a baby actually develops. The baby in the video is named Olivia, and you can watch that she goes from, you know, just an egg and a sperm to a human it's really just incredible and and uh i mean you know it's a baby but to actually see her develop is it's just it's awe-inspiring yeah no lauren it really is such a brilliantly done video it's so creative Uh, it's something that i'm 
you know, maybe someone has done this before. I'm I'm not sure, but I watched it just wow. It's amazing to see that that tiny, tiny, tiny little human just go all the way through the stages of development. We have a clip of the video that you can listen to right here, but definitely go check it out on live action social media. This is Olivia. Though she has yet to greet the outside world, she has already completed an amazing journey. This is the moment that life begins. A new human being has come into existence. At fertilization, her gender, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, and countless traits are already determined. She begins to implant in the uterus about one week after fertilization. Her cells organize into what we call an embryo. At three weeks in one day, just 22 days after fertilization, Olivia's heartbeat can be detected. One of my favorite facts that they mentioned in the video is that at 27 weeks, a baby in the womb can recognize her parents' voice and can even recognize lullabies and stories. That just blows my mind. So cool. So we will be sure to leave the link in the show notes so you can watch the whole video. Uh, It's definitely worth checking out. And with baby Olivia, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.